Welcome to the Landmark Theatres Film Club podcast. Today we'll hear a conversation with director-screenwriter Anthony Maris, actor Jason Isaacs, and screenwriter John Colley about their new film Hotel Mumbai, moderated by Scott Mance and recorded at the Landmark in Los Angeles on the film's opening weekend. You know, my first question actually uh, is, since the movie has been making the rounds at the film festivals and, and has, since it's open, from people who were witnesses of the incident and for people who survived it, what kind of reactions have you been getting for the film? Um, I think the most touching one came when we premiered at Toronto, the Toronto International Film Festival. Uh, we're lucky enough to have Chef Hermant Oberoi in the um, in the audience. He's, uh, you know, as you saw in the film, is a true hero, and he was one of the first people that we went and spoke to um, in India about five and a half years ago now when we started this this journey. And um, you know, his story and those of the Taj staff are, are you know what really compelled us to make the film. Uh, you know, many acts of selfless heroism and people coming together. F- from vastly different cultures and eth- uh, ethnic backgrounds, very different religions, and uh, people from vastly different socioeconomic groups, who, when the bullets started flying, they um, they banded together and did something quite extraordinary. So over fifteen hundred people caught up in that hotel, and um, the vast, vast majority survived. And it was because of ordinary people like that who stepped up. And uh, yeah, having having him in the audience was was quite electrifying. And when Anthony asked uh, Herman if he was uh, traumatized by the experience reliving, basically everything that happened to Herman uh, for real happens in the movie. And Herman said, oh, no, it's all right. It was only a movie. And that sort of speaks to Herman's amazing uh, sort of Indian calm that he's got about him, doesn't it? And that was, that was a quality of his, the, the kind of the unflappable kind of sense of command that he had that, uh, yeah was part of the secret of their survival. And we had, um, the other day, for the premiere in New York, we had the man who was the manager of the hotel, hi John, uh, manager of the uh, hotel at the time, whose wife and children were killed that night. And he was, uh, uh, he found it difficult to watch, but he was incredibly proud of being reminded how his staff had behaved that night. Uh, in terms of, of talking to, and the preparation, doing your research, and, and really getting down into, into everything that happened. Uh, what kind of research did you do? How many people did you actually talk to? Uh, and what other research did you wind up doing? Um, in short, the, one of the first ports of call was a documentary called Surviving Mumbai. The team behind it were some of the first on the ground in Mumbai after the attacks happened. And they interviewed many different people who had lived through the experience. And we kind of picked up where they left off in that we not only obviously saw the documentary but went through dozens of hours of unedited video footage that they had that they'd accumulated. And then we reconnected with many of those same survivors um, as well as new survivors that were introduced to. Um, separate to that, there was a court case. There was one surviving gunman, as you saw in the film, Ajmal Kassab. And uh, we have a friend in Australia who's a lawyer. He's an Indian extraction and he knew the judge, the prosecutor, and the defense counsel who were all involved in this case. And we got many thousands of pages of court case transcripts, which included Kassab's confessions, um, a lot of other circumstantial information, and also intercepts that the Indian security forces had made between the satellite phones the gunmen were using and their, and you know, as to speak to their handlers back in Pakistan. And, um, you know, gave a play-by-play account of, of not only what they were being told, but kind of what they were thinking, what they were doing, and gleaned a lot from that to, to try and uh, get that into the film. 
What about, uh, yes, okay. I would like to hear, yes. Uh, no, absolutely, and, and uh, again, those transcripts, uh, which are, and Anthony's uh, background is as a lawyer, and mine is a, as a doctor, and so we were coming to this with, and actually, Jason told me this evening that he did a law degree as well, so it's a highly, <laughs> anyway, we were coming, <laughs> and then we all ran off to join the circus, but we, um, you know, we came to this with Anthony's sort of, um, these contacts that he talked about, and this kind of, uh, forensic attitude to the research and these uh, the, what you're hearing of the uh, the controller's um, narratives kind of uh, instructions to the to the gunman was all pretty much verbatim so that's all uh, what they really what was really being said yeah what kind of research did you and the rest of the cast do to really capture the realism here well you know they they had to distill down uh, the many hundreds of stories they had and so uh, we wanted to find out which bits of the things that happened to us happened and, and who I'm playing. And numbers are playing amalgamations of people, but all the incidents you see in the film happened somewhere. There were attacks at the Jewish care center and there were attacks uh, in Cafe Leopold and attacks in various other hotels. And so uh, I just wanted to know which bits had happened to who and who he was. Uh, and then you know, the job of an actor is, uh, it's a simple thing. It's just, uh, it's quite tricky sometimes to do. You just have to be that character in that situation. So I knew who he was and knew what had happened to him. Uh, and all of our jobs, uh, um, I think I speak for all the cast, we said we wanted to just not bring any of our Hollywood bullshit to it. We just wanted to try and, you know, we didn't want to be slick or fearless in our responses. Uh, people were terrified and they were there for a long time. And uh, my character, Vasily, there were some special forces guys in, in the hotel and, and Russian billionaires have a certain swagger to them. I hope there's none in the audience. Um, <laughs> and so for me, it was about how fearless, thank you very much. Uh, Hello. Hello. How fearless he genuinely was, how much he was faking it. and, and uh, But we all tried to be in the situation. Anthony tried to keep us in that kind of fight or flight mode. So uh, you do as much research as you can. I watched the documentary as much footage as there was. And then we tried to keep ourselves imaginatively in that situation uh, all day, every day. You know, one of the things that really, really struck me is after the film, I was still in the film. It really stays with you. It is not you walk out of the theater and you're thinking, okay, let's what's what's for dinner. Like you really, it really, really does stay with you, and it's so visceral and uh, unflinching. What, uh, Anthony, your uh, your take on this movie to do it that way for your feature film debut? Uh, how daunting? What were the big challenges to really capture that? Um, I think more than anything else, it was. Once you've sat across the table from so many people who've lived through something like this, you know, an immense sense of kind of responsibility comes over you to try and do justice to their stories. And, you know, these were heroes, but they weren't the heroes that we're used to seeing. It's not John McLean, it's not a diehard. <laughs> you know, I wanted to show the brutality of a gun, you know, what a gun can do. Kind of desensitised to it here. You know, it's, it's not, terror, not necessarily the same sort of terror attacks. There's a lot of shootings that happen in America. And they kind of seem to come and go. And if the body count's not high enough, you don't even really hear about it. And in a lot of films, the way that violence is portrayed and the way that sort of guns are used, it's, you know, it can look very cool and it can be almost fun. But it's not fun. It's fucking brutal. You know, Army Hammer's not going to be able to make the distance and get the gun out of the guy's hand. You know, Jason Isaacs, special forces or not, you know, he's tied up. He's not going to be able to do those things. And the film is intended to shake people up. It's intended to be a bit of a wake-up call. And, you know, that's, that was one of the main things that um, we're looking at because we spoke to so many people who were like, 
you know, you, you speak to other people who don't know about the attacks and they're like, oh, I would have done this, I would have done that, I would have got a bottle and broken it and been there. But no, you probably wouldn't have because, you know, it's fucking scary. Yeah. And having said that, uh, you know, the um, even though it is all... Uh, pretty much real. You're always looking then, when we started writing, we were looking for the thematic kind of sort of elements in this story which would make it appealing to an audience. And um, it, it is, uh, I believe, I think we all believe, it's a, a essentially a really heartwarming story about diversity. When I watch it now, I see groups of families. You know, there's, there's Dev's family, there's Army's family, there's the, the family of waiters and the hotel staff, and there's even the family of terrorists. And they're all a diverse mix, and their strength derives from their, um, their the fact that they're they are so diverse. You know, that's and and one of, I think one of the messages that comes out of the movie is that diversity is is going to save you rather than um, disadvantage you. I have the other thing that I got out of the film is just how the movie diffuses and deconstructs our preconceived notions of other people of other cultures. That really was a, a big takeaway for me, especially at the end of that film, the way the movie ended in that last scene yeah. where she starts uh, saying the prayer. Yeah, it's totally uh, like That power was more powerful than the gun. Yeah, and, and that was true. Like that, that happened a young, you know, Muslim, well, not that young, but a Muslim woman got up and, you know, stared a terrorist in the eye. And, you know, without any weapon, without anything else, she used her faith as a source of comfort and strength and showed the hypocrisy of how he'd been you know, radicalised. And he really did disobey his handler and he really did fire the two shots and walk out and, and let her live. And it's, it's important to remember in this film as well, you know, under the, under the roof of the Taj, you had Christians, you had Hindus, you had Jews, you had Muslims, you had atheists, you had all these different people. And if, yes, the depiction of, um, of the gunman, you know, is brutal and is real. But you know, it's also important to remember that Muslims were victims of these attacks. They were heroes in these attacks, you know, as shown by the Zara character and others. One of the chefs, uh, Oberoi's ch chief um, chefs who was killed was a Muslim man. And what I found so inspiring was how, again, we're being told in the media there are all these things that divide us, you know, across racial lines, ethnic lines, you know, you, you name it, they'll find a way. But the Taj sort of shows that that doesn't necessarily have to be the case. And you did genuinely have people over 1,500 people caught up in the hotel, and it's a miracle that, you know, more than 95% got out. 32 died. You know, just over half were staff. You know, so it's... Uh, for me, I think, despite the brutality, you know, there's a hugely inspiring message of, of people coming together to, to get through something really awful and having transformative experiences in, in doing so. Well, I'd love to open up to the audience. So, uh, and here's a question right here. I'm a little shaky. Second time seeing this. Um, first time we saw it with Nazanin, and I was embarrassed to ask her about the casting. How did you cast her, and did you write her role as being a Persian British yeah. citizen? She she was um, she was written as a as a Persian woman from from Britain, as you as you've said. I was intent on getting um, not only someone who could speak Farsi, but someone who came from a, a Iranian family, which is usually one and the same. And you have a lot of pressure, especially on your first film, to sort of cast only names and, OK, well, we can get a dialect coach and get to learn the lines. But I think it goes far deeper than that. And I, in fact, hadn't... I didn't know Nazanin before this. I hadn't seen any of her work, but a, f a friend of mine in Australia had recommended her as an actor. He's like, she's in Homeland, she's really good. I'd never seen Homeland. But when I Googled her name, a, um, an Amnesty International speech came up. Uh, Nazanin, in, in different life, 
concurrently that she lives is a, quite a celebrated human rights advocate um, for many different sort of women's empowerment and human rights causes in the Middle East and other things. And that was a speech that I saw that she'd given another one in, in Farsi and just from her poise, the way she carried herself, I'm like, she's the one. And she was a little bit sort of miffed at me when we met because she's like, oh, what have you seen me? And I'm like, oh, I haven't seen you act, sorry. <laughs> she's like, so what am I doing here? I'm like, well, I saw the speech, so I think you'd be good in the film. She's like, huh. But yeah, she was amazing. She's a powerhouse. The, the character who inspired her character was a Turkish woman who actually had, like Nazneen in the movie, had sort of, uh, was a Muslim by birth, but had sort of renounced her faith. But that surah from the Quran came back to her in the moment when she was under threat and just came out. And, uh, yeah. And, and just on that, like, whilst, um, whilst the Oberoi characters and others are depicted with their real-life biographies, in many cases where the victims had passed away or whether, you know, where they were private people and they weren't prominent like uh, Oberoi, we sort of alter their biographical information or in some cases amalgamated characters out of respect for their own privacy. So that's where they came from. In, in that case, actually, Jason, I want to ask uh, in, in the character that you play, if it's if, if he's a character that's sort of a mesh of a couple different people. He is. Yeah, they're, they're, uh, as we know, it's it's the place where world leaders go and, and uh, billionaires, very wealthy uh, industry leaders go, and uh, there are many Russian businessmen there, and there were some special forces there, and uh, Anthony and John waved some magic and they combined them. So there were special forces people from, I think, South Africa and somewhere else there? From South Africa yeah. and and throughout other parts of the world, right. and, Eastern uh, Europe. And there were some uh, Russian oligarchs there. So that's and where he came Just from. on the research thing, we then had to find, Anthony said, well, what are the tattoos going to look like? When they rip off his shirt, what are the tattoos going to look like? So we found that a uh, friend of mine who's a correspondent from Moscow whose boyfriend knew some guys in Spetsnaz Special Forces and, uh, oh, and he yeah. emailed Anthony a picture of these are the tattoos that Vasily would have. And, uh, and also, I, there was barely any Russian when we first started doing it and then we added a lot of Russian and we had a guy come to the set and we said we need to translate these phrases and he was quite uh, a proper man. He didn't want to translate the swear words. And they said, well, I need to say, you know, you motherfucking son of a bitch or something, and he went, you can't say, like, oh, you bad person? I went, no, no, <laughs> it's really got to be you motherfucker, and he's, he was very uncomfortable, wasn't he? Yeah, he didn't like that. Question right there in the glasses, yes. So you were, you were there, and you left right before, two days before it happened. Wow. Thank you for coming. It must have been a difficult thing to come. I you appreciate you coming. It means a lot. So the, the people who were responsible are still out there, and your concern is uh, how it sympathizes with, with them or no. glorifies? Okay. I think the, the reasons behind terrorism are quite complex, and um, the, the feud between India and Pakistan goes back many generations. They, um, it was almost a military operation. It was... Um, there's a lot of people involved in this. It's slightly different to ISIS and how ISIS recruits. Um, it was Lakishe Taiba. We screened for Council of Foreign Relations uh, the other day in, in New York. We've also had the FBI reach out to us because in LA here, in the LA office, it was uh, the LA office of the FBI who were the chief um, American security services investigating this case. 
and they actually want to bring more widespread attention to this because so few people actually know about it, especially in this country, that these people are going free. But also they, they want to do it because they think this film will elicit sympathy actually for the victims and encourage people to turn in the organisers. So they, they feel slightly differently, is that right? Yeah, and there's huge amounts of coverage on this in other parts of the world. Like this didn't stop. For me it's sunlight and understanding Brie is, is the greatest disinfectant. And um, yeah, we've, we've actually sort of um, have recently heard from the FBI where they have seven open indictments for the organisers, $5 million awards. And, uh, you know, they haven't been brought to justice. And I, I don't think that as an artist we should be cowering and, and not saying stuff, um, you know, because of what the worst of people might do. I think our job is to actually speak out. And that's what we're doing with this film. You, nice and loud. How will the people in Pakistan relate to this movie? Well, it's funny because... Um, just the other day, I had an interviewer, Amna Nawaz, probably butchered that last name, from PBS, whose family are from Pakistan. And it's obviously a very sensitive time. But the moderates in Pakistan are also against the extremists, and we've got to be careful not to group them all together. If you look at someone like Malala, you know, young Malala, she was shot in the head by a Taliban extremist. And... And her, you know, her big thing is don't send us guns, send us books, educate our young. And, you know, far be it from me, an Australian from the other side of the world, to educate anyone. You know, if anything, we sat down across the table from many people whose lives were affected by this. And the fact remains it was a, it was a tragic event that happened, but the repercussions are still living on. I hope that, the, you know, that the vast majority of people in Pakistan see it for what it is, and it's... It's extremism, no matter what its, what its colour. It's not an indictment on an entire country. It's an indictment on a small sect of extremists, you know, who want to create a really bad situation which is going to negatively affect both sides. Also, the inspiration for making the film in the first place were the heroic stories of the staff, and, and it's entirely apolitical. It's a human story, uh, regardless of what the context was that gave rise to this event. It, what made you want to tell the story and what made us all want to be in it uh, was that it was about the staff and people who are of very humble means deciding that, uh, reaching out uh, and doing, uh, frankly, giving a lie to the notion that we're told all the time from some of the highest seats in the land that we're all selfish and we're all self-serving and that there are many things that divide us. And this was an example of that not being true. And it seems, although it did tragically happen there, the message of the film, if there is such a thing, uh, is that we are, human beings are essentially good and essentially generous. And, uh, and that, I think, I hope, well, uh, you, you can disagree, but uh, that was the inspiration to make the film, and that's devoid of politics. I mean, An Anthony and I come, come from Australia, and uh, the Shooting Christchurch was Australian. We feel no affinity with that guy at all, you know, and so uh, I think most Pakistanis feel about those gunmen the same way as we do about that Christchurch shooter, you know. Um, he may come from the same country, but we feel absolutely no connection to him, morally. Right here, nice and loud. I find it really hard to believe the future. The closest police were in Delhi, several hundred miles away. They couldn't get there for several hours. Yeah, that's, that's true. The closest special so forces, there were police there, but they had, you said, single-shot rifles. Right? Yeah, so the, the, the police had, um, were very stretched out across Mumbai. They weren't trained in counterterrorism. In fact, the head of the ATS, the anti-terrorist squad of Mumbai, was gunned down, assassinated within an hour of the attacks beginning. The whole thing was in utter disarray. 
and yeah, the uh, Mumbai didn't have a special forces sort of thing at the time, which is kind of why this movie exists. In many other cases, terror attacks are quite sudden and we're dealing with the aftermath, but this went on for three days because it took that much time and it meant that everyday people had to, you know, rise up and, um, and count on one another for support and for, for their own safety. You know, we interviewed people who, you know, were cracking window panes with uh, champagne buckets and, you know, ferrying one another out, you know, down knotted bed sheets as ropes to escape because there was no other help coming. And fire was licking their back and they'd wait patiently as they're ferrying other people down. So it is hard to believe, but if you've ever been to Mumbai, it's a city of over 20 million people officially, maybe 25 or 26 unofficially. That's more people than the entire continent of Australia in this, you know, sprawling chaotic city. And you add, an, you know, terror attacks happening all around the city all at once. They were putting uh, uh, timer bombs under the taxis that they were going to the places in. So then they'd go and take people to another place and there'd be something blowing up there. It was total shock and, and, and all. So it's, it's not you know, a total indictment on security services because I think any city would have a challenge with that, but it was especially difficult in that case. It's, yeah, it's a good point that you brought up. Uh, over here, yeah. She said the film was brilliant, in case anyone didn't hear. Yeah, you got to repeat that. You got to repeat that. It's brilliant. Yes, your question. This film just makes you feel from every perspective like you were there. Not that you wanted to ever be part of this up close, but this was two hours of gripping you know, intense, they know, I was sitting here crying the entire time. So what I wanted thank to you. ask you, other than say thank you for making a powerful film like this so the world can see what this story was, but it had to be so emotional on the set, there had to be times you had to completely stop because people were hysterical crying, I, I have to think. That's when you roll the cameras. <laughs> That's, <laughs> what, That's what we're know, trying to The do. point is to try and get everybody in a state of heightened emotion and uh, to imagine that you're there in this day, you know, that's what actors do and that's what storytellers do. We were trying to be, as far as we could, recreate the, the situation. So it was a state of heightened emotion. In fact, it's the only job I've done in 30 odd years where every single person went out to eat together every night because we needed somehow to unwind because we kept, you know, we were in this kind of fight or flight uh, place in our heads and, and on set all day, every day. I'm right in saying, Jason, that when the um, uh, gunmen were attacking you, everyone was so charged up that it became quite painful. They beat the living <laughs> shit out of me. Yeah. He got kicked in the face. Yeah, yeah, I did. And they don't, you know, they're, they're proper actors and trained actors, but they weren't so good at stopping the butt of the rifle from well, the, smashing Well, three of them had never been in a film before. So. No. <laughs> they beat the shit out of me. That's all they did. Yeah. Got time for two more questions right there in the red. Uh, the question was, did you ever, uh, you know, uh, during the editing... Uh, have a scene that you thought was right, and then maybe the next day or with reflection, you took it out because it might have been too violent, you know, that sort of thing. In, we had that process earlier on, actually, in the script writing, in the script writing portion of the film. Um, Jason mentioned Karen Beer Kang earlier, the general manager of the Taj. He'd lost his wife and two children in the attacks. And we're still, you know, he told them to stay inside their, their suite that they were living in because gunfire was going on and no one knew what was happening. And um, and then uh, the, you know the terrorists took over the hotel and they burnt the floor beneath his family and they're incinerated. We couldn't show that. 
we actually had to moderate the story and pull it back in, in certain places like that because it's too harrowing. And, you know, that's another reason why the biographical details of the victims and even some of the survivors were changed. With Oberoi, we couldn't do it because everyone in India knows who he is. The police, we couldn't do it because, again, their stories were quite prominent. But, um, but by the time we got to editing, no, it was, it was just instinctual. Like, they, they, it was always going back to how did it feel when we sat across from the people who were telling us these stories? And how do we authentically and honestly put our audience in, in the shoes of the various people we had interviewed. And that was our guiding light. Um, you know, we didn't want it, obviously, to feel gratuitous. I don't think it glorifies violence. I think, if anything, it makes you fucking hate it, as we as we should. Uh, sorry to swear, but, you know, it's... It's, it's also, it's actually, it's amazing in terms of your portrayal of gore, Anthony. It's, it's quite restrained. There's not a lot of gore in it. It's mainly psychological tension, isn't it? Yeah, like if you were to actually break it down, if, we, if, you, would have, if you had another two hours, we can watch the film again, we can show you. There's, yes, there is some blood, but, you know, you look at any John Wick film, anything like that, there's, I can assure you there's way more on-screen violence in that gore. Um, you know, in this film, a lot of it is implied and it's because of the tone of the the feeling that you feel when it's happening, I think, is what accentuates the violence or the feeling of that. One more question. Uh, let's go right in the back there, you on the aisle. We did. We, we were there for over a month as we were writing it and we are interviewing a lot of the staff members um, as, we were, as we were staying there. We are walking through the same corridors and ballrooms that these events are taking place in. And, in fact, it wasn't until I think we got to the Taj that as well as the human dimension, which is the most important, there's another aspect to it, which is this, it's this massive, gorgeous, sprawling building. And to be able to make sense of how these things all came together so that you can portray it on film in a way that, in, you know, very quickly we can set it up so you can understand where everyone is staying there, I think yeah. You'd, yeah, it was yeah, critical. Yeah, we, we also got the sense that a hotel is like a theatre, um, you know, that there's a front of house and there's a backstage, and, and the staff who we spoke to took us through all the little rat runs and the secret staircases and that panel in the wall that is, and the hotel is full of this, these wonderful secret avenues that the, car, the staff employed and, and, and so when we got our heads around that and the fact, the, the heroism of these staff and also the fact that their one advantage was they knew the geography and then that became their weapon. You know, and what wasn't shown in the film, because you can't show everything, is many staff actually got out. They'd shepherded people to safety and they turned around and they went back in to save more people. Wow. Oberoi did that three times, you know. And there's a, if you're interested, there's an article you can read called The Ordinary Heroes of the Taj Hotel. It's written by Harvard Business Review. And a team of psychologists went to the Taj to try and find out what was it about these people, about the corporate culture, about the, um, you know, about what was in the air there that had not just one or two, but en masse, an entire staff force and the guests, you know, rise up and become heroes. And heroes, you know, it's a term I don't really like usually because in Hollywood it's like, oh, is he a hero? These are heroes, again, never thrown a punch, never fired a gun, but they, they found inner reservoirs of strength, which, you know, at least I was awed by. They were on the phone often to their mums and dads and husbands and wives because it was very well documented. The news cameras outside for three days. And uh, the family members would be watching and they could see which wing was blowing up and where the fire was. And they'd get on the phone to their relatives who were inside and they would use that as a way to uh, scurry around the thing. We also went, by the way, the cast went not only to the Taj, uh, but we went to the train station, went to Cafe Leopold, went to all the places that we could just to, you know, just to remind ourselves, as we did constantly every day, uh, of the responsibility of, of honouring 
the story, the heroism and the, the loss. One more question right here. Shukriya. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right, Jason, you well, want to take you. us out with oh, that? Yeah, thing? I do. No, I, so uh, I have a question or a request, rather. This is a film about a terrorist uh, activity, uh, action. And uh, you all know, because you've seen it now, hopefully uh, you feel the same thing that they felt when they wanted to make the film, which is that it's a, I wouldn't say it's a heartwarming story, but it's an inspiring story uh, of quiet heroism. Uh, and we need help making people buy tickets because Jordan Peele's horror film is opening and uh, <laughs> Captain Marvel is opening. And this is a little film that doesn't have a giant marketing budget. And so if you like this film, you are part of our marketing budget and uh, spread the word. Thanks so much. Thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen. Jason, Anthony, John. Thank you, Thank everyone. You so Thank you very much.